Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Christmas is coming up. I mean, all of those things, man, it just seems like they just get moving and flying and all those things. But hopefully as we've been talking about this idea of maturing spiritually, of being transformed from the inside out, I hope up until this point, I hope you can look back on your year. And I hope you can look back and see um, and recognize areas where Jesus has transformed you in your views, in your thoughts, in your strengths, in your uh, openness, uh, that you can see where you've been changed by the Holy Spirit. I hope after this many months we can begin to see that and we can begin experiencing those things, right? Because change is so minutely incremental. Sometimes our expectations, we have unrealistic expectations. I think there are times in our lives when we can make big changes, right? I think that happens. We've all experienced that. Uh, But then there are those things, and it's a lot of them inside of us. Uh, There are those ingrained characteristics and qualities and attributes that take so long, as as Tyler was sharing, uh, oftentimes could have been a a little quicker, Except me and you have something stubborn and, and, and we can really expend a lot of our time and effort and energy fighting against the goodness of God and fighting against his Holy Spirit. And so, uh, again, not that we're going to reach spiritual maturity on December 31st. For sure, I hope it keeps, unless Jesus comes back on December 31st, that would be fine. All right. But hopefully, as we're learning these things, um, we're, we're getting an idea of how transformation is supposed to be and that it doesn't end with us. We're, we're meant to, just as Tyler was reading in 2 Corinthians 5, this idea of we're meant to pass this along and walk with others to teach them these things as well. So we're in 1 Timothy. Um, I hope you're getting an idea so far. Um, again, you... In my view, you really can't read 1 Timothy enough, like over and over and over again while we're going through this, to let the storyline sink in, to let the, uh, just, uh, what was Paul's line of thinking? Because we know in this letter, Paul is writing to a young evangelist, Timothy, in the city of Ephesus, okay? And, And again, hopefully, me and you can tell the story of 1 Timothy. Right? It's not memorizing every single word, but it's telling the flow, the story about what's going on, about Paul talking to Timothy in Ephesus, and he's commanding, hey, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Don't let people teach a doctrine that is different than the true gospel of Jesus. Okay, Make sure that what's being taught truly is the teachings of Jesus. And... 
my hope is is that there's a little bit of a light bulb that goes off. We are in this book in First Timothy. It hadn't been that many years since Jesus had died on the cross. Right, we're talking about we're still in the infancy of the church. Why do I say that? Is because false teaching was already coming into the church. There were already false teachers. There were already just changing doctrines up and changing views up. That was already beginning to happen. And here we are 2,000 years later, and this has just compounded itself over time, except I think what we have a hesitancy sometimes is to, is to honestly assess that, is that Christianity in the United States today has been has truly been uh, infiltrated by false teachers. Okay, now understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that a false teacher has to be a rotten person or a mean guy or some person that looks like Satan or something like that. It can be something as benign as somebody just passing along a doctrine that somebody passed along to them, that somebody passed along to them, and nobody ever stopped to look. It can be something that benign and that innocent but it spreads itself, right? And it starts working its way through. And then we end up with this kind of conundrum in Christianity today, which is let's make it easy and just accept everything. Like I don't, like it makes me feel uncomfortable because, because if we're going to study the scripture, then maybe someone's wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. And, and that seems to be just a really difficult thing. And, 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 Christianity has been attempting over the years to try to come back on itself and go, let's just all wrap our arms around each other. Except our goal isn't to do that. Our goal is to submit ourselves to the teachers. Regardless of how they, like, examining, man, am I even aligned with Jesus? Okay? And so he's commanding this. Um, he's reminding He's reminding Timothy, remember, as you're reaching people, remember God's patience for me. I was the worst. Okay, Paul is reminding him of these things. He's saying, man, get ready for spiritual battle. All right, Satan doesn't go quietly by any stretch of the imagination. Engage, pray for everyone. To, and, and again, not just to pray that we would just have these quiet lives and we can all do our own thing, but that we would be undisturbed on the inside and the outside. Why? Because God wants everyone to be saved. All right? He's, he's not just kind of isolating us into our own worlds. He's saying, no, we want to pray for everybody and kings and all those in authority because I want all men to be saved, and that's how this is going to happen, okay? And that brings us up to where we are in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8 right here, okay? Um, because he says this. He says, therefore, okay, because of all of these things that were written, therefore, every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, expensive apparel, but with good, good works, as is proper for women who affirm that a woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. Adam was created first, then Eve, and Adam was not 
but the woman was deceived and transgressed, but she will be saved through childbearing if she can love and hope with good judgment. Let's sit in that for just a second here, okay? Every single person that I can possibly imagine reading this, first of all, I'm probably crazy to read. You're thinking, man, this guy doesn't want to be a minister for much longer, <laughs> right? Uh, but but here is, is we cannot and will not move through this too quickly, all right? And, and I don't know what these things trigger inside of you. I, I think those things that trigger us the most are the ones we should sit in and go, why is this happening? What is going on? What is making me scared? What is making me angry? What is making me, right, is, is we have to do that. Here's what I do know is virtually no one is ever won over by a good argument, okay? My, my goal isn't to come up here and to argue a point. That's not my goal. It's let's lay out the word of God and let's apply our lives to it. Are we aligned? Are we conformed to this? And obviously just from reading this, uh, you can understand how controversial this is, how this sounds to our ears, okay? And remember the number of times that we've said over and over and over again, Bible can't mean something to us that it didn't mean to its original hearers. I know sometimes that kind of goes right by us and we don't think about it, but these are the passages that if we don't understand these principles, we will twist and contort God's word to fit directly into my life. And the challenge, there's a lot of them, a lot of challenges here. One of them is, do I approach God's word expecting to agree with everything God says or it must be wrong? Oftentimes, that's how we even choose churches, is I'll go there if I agree with everything they're teaching. And that surprises me because oftentimes I read the Bible and I find I'm not in agreement at all with God. And that's why he says, but Keith, this is, this is the point, repent, like think differently. That's that beautiful word of repentance. It implies that we don't think the same way. And he's just saying, hey, repent. Repent is this beautiful thing. All right? And there can be so many things going through our minds when it goes through this. So let's just take our time through this. Okay? And I do want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention to the presence of God. I want you to pay attention to your own kind of inner temperature. Right? I want you to pay attention. What you may find as we go through this is you may find that you have no idea how to handle the Bible correctly. And that's okay, all right? I mean, that's not a shameful thing. I mean, one of our things of coming together is that we do equip one another, is that we do encourage and teach and pass along to one another. So none of these things are shameful to go, wow, I wouldn't even know where to start here, so we're going to take our time a little bit. Um, and if we have to go extra time, we'll go extra time, okay? Um, not today, all right? We can turn it in. <laughs> if we have to go till 8, we'll go till 8, okay? <laughs> Um, therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy or argument, okay? First things first, okay? Uh, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, and Timothy then goes and shares this with the Ephesian church, the, the group itself, you know what they weren't doing? 
They weren't going, what does he mean by that? These letters are, are called occasional letters. There's a specific occasion. Paul isn't just doing a blog post. Paul isn't just like, like going, man, I had this great quiet time. Let me send this to Timothy so we can talk to the church. He's saying, no, there's very specific things. And uh, Paul had been informed what was going on in Ephesus. And he was sending this letter out, and he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want men in every place to pray. Does that mean he doesn't want women to pray? No. Talking to the men. I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Can you start getting an idea of what may have been going on? Well, simply put, men weren't praying. Sounds like they were arguing. Sounds like they were angry with one another. It's interesting. We're going we're gonna to pick this up later. As we read 1 Timothy, you start to see that we actually learn more down the road is that there was all kinds of like weird quarreling going on in the church. And so again, if I'm, if I'm reading this, I'm going, okay, I'm a man. He says, I want men in every place to, to pray, okay? Now, let's, let's re-envision kind of what they were working with here, okay? Um, in some places, maybe they did have more of an auditorium setting, okay? I know it's, it's super easy for us because we know exactly how they did it. They just did it in homes, and they just did it. But we, what we do know about the early church is they did it where they could fit, okay? And sometimes that was a home, and sometimes that was an open, common area. At different times, it's just in different places. But it wasn't necessarily, he wasn't saying, hey, men, come up here in front of everybody up your hands and pray. But he is saying this, is men pray by lifting up holy hands. See, here's the interesting thing about this, is lifting up holy hands, because uh, again, we can, we can miss the point here and go, oh, if I have a man just lift up our hands, then we'll be good. Do you see how that kind of falls short here? All right? He's saying, no, there's a point to this. There's a rich history of what the idea of raising hands is in Psalm 141. Uh, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Okay, There's this like devotion of raising your hands in prayer. There's this devotion in it. Maybe it's different culturally, but to the original hearers, they understood this rich history of hear my cry for mercy in Psalm 28. I call to you for help as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. All right, there's a sense of reverence and there's a sense of worship. Let us examine our ways. And Jeremiah writes in Lamentations, let us examine our ways and test them. And let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. And sin and rebelled. Okay, these people who are sad and crying out. But there's this rich history of this idea, but there's a really important word. He says, here's what I want you to do. Lift up holy hands. All right? Anybody can, you know, lift up their hands and do whatever, but there was this posture in the Bible 
You have this posture, I mean, you have the posture of prayer sometimes where people are laying flat on their face. Other times they're kneeling. Other times their hands are raised. Oftentimes in a communal setting, that as people prayed, they would raise their hands as, as in surrender, okay? And this idea of praising God and he's saying, but here's what I want, guys, is you can do that. That's great. But here's what I want you to examine is, are, are your hands holy hands, okay? Are they holy and it, hopefully something inside of us as men, we begin to ask ourselves, am I living a life that is holy? Remember, he's not, he's not trying to have a show in front of everybody. He's digging out what's inside of us. And if we aren't living a life unique to Jesus during the week, when we come together, there's no way I'll be able to express in any way or in any posture a worship and a reverence for God. Uh, he says, I want you to do this without arguing. I want you to do this without complaining or quarreling or these things. And again, we're looking at this and going, there's a pretty rich history in the church and among God's followers. It's a pretty rich history of Quarreling, arguing, not being holy. First Corinthians 3, he said, I can't even address you. Uh, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. You're still worldly. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, since there's jealousy and quarreling. You not worldly. He's saying, man, there's, there are things going on, and my people can just be worldly. But I want men to pray. I, I want men to not quarrel. I want men to not argue with one another. I want men to come together. And, and my hope is, is that every man in here is applying our heart to this and, and heeding this this challenge right here okay and there's three things that are going into this and he's going to develop this a little bit more but here's what has happened okay is they have men who have just become passive men this is extremely dangerous to be passive spiritually to go, well, I'll just try to be a disciple, but I'm going to be kind of passive. I'm not really going to step out in discomfort. I'm not going to challenge myself. I'm not going to accept a challenge. I'm going to just kind of live in my corner and be safe and try to do the best I can. Except here's the interesting thing when he's going, man, you know, get up there and pray. What they didn't have a problem with, the women were like, I'll get up there and pray. I'm ready to go. There's a passivity, there's an unholiness, there's an indecisiveness that's being described here. And I don't know if those words describe you. I don't know as a man if those words describe you as just indecisive and, and good guy. And, and man, I come to church and I'm friendly with people and all of these different things, but uh, I'm passive and, and I'm not particularly uh, holy. I'm actually not very intentional in my spiritual life and I'm, I'm indecisive. Right? He's saying, man, we have to snap out of it. L let me give you an example. This is men here I'd like to talk to, okay? Because um, we have our men's midweek, and, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm flabbergasted at the number of guys that just don't come, first of all. 
But second of all, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were like, we've been working through this process of how do we mature spiritually? How do we work through these things? And it's like, okay, let's, let's work this process through. Who would like to come and share that process next week? Or in two weeks. Who, who would like to do that? Which, which man? And I understand that there's a couple of men in the group. You didn't put your hands up because you're always doing things and you're, you're letting somebody go. I understand that. Okay? We had two people. Okay? Patrick was like, I'll do it. And Will Harrington said, I'll do it. And, and it was crickets. Uncomfortable crickets. And the truth of the matter is I have been doing this enough to know when I sense and see passivity. And I don't know if the cause is because the men are not being holy. I don't know if that's the cause. But I do know the passivity comes with it is indecisiveness. And we're going to see this will have a profound impact on marriage and parenting and future, like helping people become disciples. And so, again, I hope, guys, we're being honest about this part, okay? I think this is something that, that speaks very directly to us. Okay. Also, he says, in order to dress themselves in sense, not with elaborate hairstyle, but with good works as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. Here's the beautiful thing I love about God's word. Um, it is wonderfully um, ambiguous to a certain degree. And what that means is, is that um, me and you, we have to read things, and our heart must be applied to it. Now, we can make that, we can move that along in a more, like, like quicker we can move that along by just saying, okay, let me give you the rules about what you can wear and what you can't wear and how you can do your hair and all those things. Let me give you those rules. And we could like conform to those and our heart would never be any different at all. We could say, men, when you come up and pray, raise your hands up because that's, that's what you have to do. Except the heart doesn't always just follow a rule. But again, ladies, this is one of those things, okay? So Paul, here's the wonderful thing that we can't lose out, that we don't want to lose sight of, okay? All the way back when God said, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a man, I'm going to make a woman, and that is a beautiful thing. And the two will come together and they'll become one. And you know how the world, you know how the world gets to know the full expression of God? By the full expression of a man and a woman in Christ, that doesn't mean married necessarily. Some, some people might not ever get married, and that's okay. But the world will see us through these beautiful expressions of what God built into us. And they're different. And Paul isn't backing off from that. He's saying, men, listen, here's the deal. Like, stand up. Be decisive. Stop being passive. And he's going, ladies, here's the other thing. When we come together, and this is, he's talking about in a gathering here. He's not making a rule for, but he's saying, hey, when we gather, here's what's going on. Do you think the ladies, as they heard this, were going, what? He doesn't even know, what is he talking? Mm -mm. This was real. This was really going on, okay? And what's fascinating is sometimes we zero in on kind of the, like the sexual immodesty. And we lose sight of the fact that oftentimes what they're talking about is an extra economic extravagance. Is let me find my place among you 
as somebody who has more money, more things, uh, or just status. These things were happening for real. And so there were two parts of this going on as we read this. He said, he said this idea, don't dress, do it in modest clothing with decency and good sense, the elaborate hairstyles, pearls, the expensive apparel. You have sexual modesty and you have economic, financial, status style modesty. There's an interesting thing that we do see played out in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Uh, disciples are pretty plain. That doesn't mean you can't wear nice things. We certainly aren't going to say, man, if you have jewelry on, you are in so much trouble. No, 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 no. You have to understand what he's addressing isn't, again, this list of these things. He's not saying, man, if you combed your hair, you did your hair, or something like that. No, 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 no. Like, back then, there was this, like, very amazingly extravagant way. And, and again, this is what makes it um, hard, difficult, and wonderful at the same time is that every single one of us in here, we have to, like, examine this, okay? Because you, like, make your hair look nice, that doesn't mean you're immodest. Because you wear a little bit of jewelry doesn't make you immodest. But you have to look at this and go, hold on a minute. Um, th this is really, this is, th th here's the interesting thing about this, is poking at our desire to find room somewhere. Okay, that's really where it is. It's kind of like, where do I fit in here? And we don't want to fit in on the bottom. I don't want to be the, I don't need to be the best, but I don't want to be the worst. How do people see me? Okay, and there is definitely a different psychological aspect to men and to women in this regard. And so, as we're kind of working our way through that, is Paul going, which, which, absolutely hopefully makes us cringe is we have commentators you can go on google and read commentators slandering paul about being some like misogynistic guy that he doesn't like women all right just having an emotional temper tantrum doesn't make it true just calling someone a name doesn't make their point go away all right everyone in here you are capable of examining yourself and reading through the word and seeing if what I'm even saying is accurate, okay? But there's this side of it of going, I would like to make my mark. I like to be noticed. There's a social competitiveness. He's saying, ladies, you're being disruptive. You're being disruptive because you're sexually immodest and you're just creating this kind of almost hierarchical economic structure. And that's not what we're about in the community, in the kingdom of God. Let's take a couple steps back. What we're really being taught is the ethics of a kingdom life. Okay? He's not saying, hey, the world can choose what they want to do. Other groups can choose what they want to do. But we've chosen to be in the kingdom of God. And we're hearing, like, this is kingdom living. This isn't being mean to anybody. If, if anything else, it's getting us out of our way. Right? Let me go back to this. He says, do this. Um, again, I don't think like the necessity is for me to like pontificate over and over and over again of what like sexual or like like sexual modesty is. You know, the, the bar keeps changing over the years. 
It, it just does, and I know that I can totally can go, man, that dude is just some old dude who just doesn't get it. He doesn't even like social media. You know, he doesn't even know what's going on, but I do know what's going on is that the truth of the matter is, is what's becoming the norm is something that's just sexually not modest, is the norm. There, there's a reason when God went and tried to look for Adam and Eve, and, and he's like, well, we're covered. Well, why are you covered? Because we're naked. Like, we switched that. <laughs> it's almost like, how, can, how close to naked can I get? And, and this is even in the church. I know, man, this is, again, let me just call you to study this out and to come to a deep conviction about King Lewis. Amen. Right? Because he says, here's the thing. Clothe yourselves with good works. Clothe yourselves with good works. See, good works in the world aren't always the same thing as good works in the kingdom. As we're reading this, me and you have to remember one thing. None of these things were written individually. Like, hey, you do this and you do this. It's this idea of we. It's a we. It's us coming together and going, we're going to align ourselves with kingdom values. And, and sometimes it may seem scary. And you wonder what? You may think like, man, I don't want people to call me names. I don't want people to think I'm prudish. I don't want think, and I know like all of the arguments. Like, yes, I understand some clothes might be more comfortable than other clothes. And and the truth of the matter is, in your own work environment, you have to wear different things. That's not what we're getting into. But we are talking about in the in kingdom living is we have to be thoughtful about these things. Okay. He's saying, ladies, clothe yourselves with good works. Matthew 5.14, he says this, you're the light of the world. A city situated on the hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. There's a nice, you don't know what, I can't give you an exhaustive list of good works, but I can give you the purpose of, of good kingdom works they do one thing. They don't, they don't check off the box of me making something of me. They're not about me going out and expressing myself. There's one purpose, and that's that everyone gives glory to our Father in heaven. So he's saying, clothe yourself with these things. Now, does he, now, now understand something. Is he going, oh, so men don't have to do that? No, no, understand. He's not taught. Don't fall into that trap. Right? Oh, so men don't have to be modest. So men don't have to. No, no. He's saying the Ephesian church, these are the issues that need to be addressed. So the argument, we're not trying to argue our way out of it. We're hearing this at face value. We're reading this through, okay? And so it's that idea of he's saying, ladies, here's the thing is, is rather than making something of yourself and finding your mark and trying to bring this attention to yourself, listen, live in such a way that people glorify God when they see what you do. That's a wonderful thing right there. And we move on down. A woman should learn in silence and full submission. Don't allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she's to be silent. This is the one right here. Right? The modesty part sometimes with people is a warm-up. And then you get to this one. And it's like, I don't like that. 
how do I handle the word correctly? Because oftentimes, man, I can't tell you how many pages of commentary I've read on this section. And sadly enough, most of the commentaries, what they're trying to do is to make it say something it doesn't say. But it says, it does say what it means. But at the same time, we have to handle the word correctly, okay? Here's one thing we already know, and we studied this a couple of years ago. 1 Corinthians 11, here's what we do know, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 11, is that in the gathering, women spoke. They prophesied. They prayed out loud. Those things happened. Right? Is Paul like going back on this? No. Again, it's a careful study of this. Does he mean, oh, he, he's kind of backing off for the Ephesians? He's not. What he's talking about here is when he says that, the, the words that we're reading right there in silence and full submission um, is first and foremost, the words are an inner quality. First and foremost. But, but, there's a, there's, there's a thoughtfulness of going, there might be a time you have to close your mouth. Okay. It's not rude. That's not disrespectful. Because something was happening here in the Ephesian church. Something was happening. And what he was saying is, is it's not so much, as he, as he paints this picture, it's not so much that, hey, just don't say anything, because we knew that in the gatherings they did say things already. But what he was saying was, hey, what's going on, though, here in Ephesus, is that there's, there's an attitude of the heart that's trying to grasp for authority. There's an attitude of the heart. Now, you know who didn't make it any easier? The passive guys. Okay, you see, you see how that happens? How you have two things. This happens in homes. All right? You, you have a passive guy, and then you have a, a, a lady who is like, well, then I'm going to take this authority. And I'm going to run with it. And he's saying, actually, here's the mindset is, is that I ask you to, to learn and be silent. And that means even an inner quietness, okay? Do, have you ever felt like everything inside of you is yelling? Because there's a way to go through this. You can go, oh, I'll be silent. Oh, yeah, okay. Here, I'll be silent. And then we go to dinner. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk. Okay, do you understand? That's exactly what I'm talking about. He's saying, man, we aren't aligned with God's kingdom. It's, it's the idea of, okay, I'll be until I can get out of this building. Okay, this is tough, though. Would you agree with that? This is tough. These things don't change super quickly. So if you're going, man, I am totally like that. I totally feel that where I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not going to talk. I'll do this and all these things. But man, I'm going to just blow up when I get home. Okay. Is, here's the thing. And we'll look at this. You got to recognize that. All right. Because the battle in the, you against me. That's not the battle. The battle is, man, we're being addressed with a kingdom ethic here. Man, am I like this? Am I like fully surrendered? You start talking about like, man, of the leadership of the church and you go, whoa, easy, partner. Except there isn't any, I mean, Paul, Jesus, nobody seems to be very ashamed that there's leadership in, uh, among the gathering of God's people, that there are men who have roles and there are women who have roles. He doesn't seem to be ashamed at all, nor should we, okay? So, again, it's this idea, but principle, next principle, a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. 
That's a principle of kingdom life. You're waiting, but Keith, is there a Greek word in there? <laughs> well, I like you. Gave it, you, you threw us a bone on the last one. <laughs> what is it on this one? No. He, he said, here's the deal. Were there women in the history of following God that taught? Yes. Can women teach? Yes. Is this saying women can never teach? No. Have there been leaders in? Absolutely. Right? But he's saying here's, here's what must occur. Right? I, I cannot, that can't be the case. And this was happening in Ephesus. So can you imagine the, the group? You have passive men coming together. You have women who are like, okay, fine. Like, we're already a little bit competitive. We've got our gear on. We've got all these kind of things. And we are up there with authority. And that comes from a number of different places, right? It comes from the fact that they have the Temple of Artemis in their city, one of the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this huge, and it, and it colored the entire philosophy of the city, and it was all about Artemis, and they, and she had the priestesses around her, and you would go, and you would get, and everything was surrounding a religion that women were in leadership and men were kind of like down here. And I understand sometimes when we talk about these things, like we can have a hesitancy of going, but man, things like among men and women have been expressed in really bad ways. Okay? What we're not talking about is there isn't ever any room for oppression or injustice or unfair. There, there's none. There's no room for that, okay? So if there's any part of your mind that's reading into this some kind of oppressiveness or unjust behavior, you have to go, hold on, let me set that aside. That's never okay in the kingdom of God, okay? Um, so here's this idea of a, a woman should learn as well, okay? So there's this idea of going, here's what I'm talking to the ladies is that I come and I learn. So the men don't have to do that? Well, of course they do. But I'm picturing something very, very specific going on among the Ephesian churches, okay? I don't need to learn. I need to teach. I need to talk about this, and I need to do all these things, okay? This is a verse that, that don't, don't, like, chew on it. I don't expect my argument to just go, oh, man, that's absolutely correct. But I will tell you this is, is study this. As I've said before, we can try to make the Bible, like, fit in more into our contemporary life to where it's just easier. And we can get more people. Except, remember, that's not the goal. It's the idea, he said, no, no, go make disciples. Disciples are people who are going, Jesus, I may not all get what you're about, but I'm about your kingdom life. And what he is like describing of the kingdom ethic is very different than what we experience outside. All right? And so it's this alignment of this. The interesting thing about this is if you were to read the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, all right, the normal leadership and authority is assigned to men. From, from front to back, Genesis to Revelation, that's why I share all the time, read through this thing over and over and over again. So did that mean that God doesn't like women? Not at all. Any family, any team, any corporation understands that roles are not the same thing as worth and value. All right? I, if you watched college football yesterday, if you watched the Clemson game yesterday, you know, the whole game you can go, man, 
Field goal kickers are useless. Until that joker has to make a 52-yard field goal, then that's the greatest dude on the team. You're like, no, but you know, does that mean that every, no, no, you know, well, how come the quarterback? Because that's his role. All right. Well, are you saying the wide receiver's not as good as the offensive tackle? What about poor B.T. Potter over there? He's just sitting on the sidelines waiting to kick a field goal. And we're going, hold on a minute. We don't, we don't like assign value in worldly things in that regard. But then when it comes to the church, we start going, hold on a minute. You're trying to make women have no value and no worth. And we're going, no, it's absolutely impossible to do that in the church. For one reason, the cross of Jesus. Is there was no, it was like there is no man or woman, slave or Greek, Scythian or, we are all one in Jesus Christ, okay? And so there's that idea of going, when it comes to worth and to value, that is not a part of what we're talking about. That's already been established. What we're talking about here is, is how has God built us to live in his kingdom as a city on a hill so more people can become his disciples, all right? Is we're living in that right there. This is crazy, but let's talk about it. Created first, true or false? True, that's right, he was. And Adam wasn't deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. You're going, oh, here you go, Paul. You couldn't leave well enough alone. Like, you just had to go after it. But here's the thing is, turn back to Genesis chapter. He's not putting this on there so that we'll just kind of scoot on by. He's, there's a point to what he's saying here, okay? He's not just taking a cheap shot. He's not trying to be cute. He's not trying to do any of those things, but he is trying to bring the church to repentance here. So back in Genesis, um, actually just above that in chapter 2, um, he says this in verse 18, the Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. Right? It, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper as his compliment. So the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals, the man. But for man, no helper was found as his compliment. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept, and God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh. And the Lord God made uh, that rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh. She'll be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame, okay? Um, and so uh, then you have this. The next thing you know, we see this serpent coming to Eve, okay? Here's the interesting thing about this is when God gave the command, don't eat the fruit of that tree. He said it to Adam. That's who he told before he made Eve. He said, Adam, there's something very important I need you to know. You don't eat that fruit. Okay? And then there's Eve sitting in the garden innocently, and here comes the serpent, and the serpent kind of has this funny way of talking about, like, twisting God's words. And then what happens is Eve eats it, and do you remember where Adam was? He was right there. He was witnessing this happen. He knew passive, indecisive, unholy. His wife sitting there just like, sure, I'll make this decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know what God said, but I, okay. All right, then there's a breakdown of that. 
And it's meant for us to examine and to meditate on and going, and it's Paul calling us back and he's saying, guys, this is our history. Our history began with the role of men and the role of women becoming dysfunctional and disobedient, and then there were consequences that came from that. And what were those consequences, okay? Uh, jump down to chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 16. Okay, He said this. He said to the woman, okay, God is saying, hey, come on up here, Eve. I'll intensify your labor pains. You'll bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You'll eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. You'll eat the plants of the field. You'll eat the bread by the sweat of your brow until you return from the ground, since you are taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. All right, presumably I'm working in the garden was not like this toil. It wasn't this, man, I really put a hard day in like dragging, the, you know, plowing the field and all these thorns. It sounded like before that, labor was a beautiful, chances are when we're with Jesus, right, we're working. We will be working most likely, but not with the taint of sin. All right. He had them work the garden, and that was a beautiful thing. Right. And he said, here's the consequences. Now, when God said there are consequences, okay, that's not very, it's very easy for us to go, okay, that's saying something about God. Instead of going, hold on a minute, consequences are from my decision. God didn't like just out of the blue say, I'm making you have labor pains. In fact, that never had to happen. But he said, here are the consequences. We do this with our children. It is, hey, this is, these are the boundaries I need you to live in. And, and you all know what? When you go out of those, there's consequences. Oh, it's because you're mean, Dad. No, I didn't make you go out of the boundaries. It's just, I told you, just like in the world, there are consequences to things. All right? And so as we look and telling us a history, he said, this is actually just what and we're at this place right now where women are going, yes, I want to be with my husband, and he's going to rule over me, and I'm not going to like that. And then he says this thing, she'll be saved through childbearing. And you're going, man, what if I don't have children? What if I don't get married? Okay, l let me refer one thing before we kind of start wrapping this up. So at the end of 2 Peter, you can turn on over there, last chapter of 2 Peter. Our boy Peter knows Paul. I don't know what Paul thought about when he read this. But 2 Peter, right at the end there of chapter 3, in verse 15, Peter writes, Regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. Boy, that's great just from what we're talking about here. Regard the patience of God. He gets, you know what, this is, we're going to have to like work through this. We're going to have to like, there's a, there's a process to this, wherever we're starting. But he's like, um, uh, 
as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given. Damn. The untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of Scripture. There, there are just par portions of Scripture when you look at that and go, what on earth? And there may be a number of different things. Like, like you can read, like some people kind of believe that there was like this Jewish Gnosticism that taught that Eve was created before anyone else. And so there was kind of like this worship. Was that it? Maybe. I don't know. We weren't there for that. Right? Some people believe that this has to do with like Artemis, the cult of Artemis, and how the women would like cry out to Artemis for help while they were giving birth. Like there was almost a worship process. Was that the case? Maybe. Maybe with some of them. But here's what we know. He's saying this. If anybody was worried, he said, no, 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 no. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that childbearing, okay, that's not a means of salvation. But he's like, if you have any kind of like strange view of childbearing being something that would exclude you from the kingdom of God or something like that, let me just put your hearts at ease, okay, is that's not the case. But here's what I want you to do. Don't lose sight of faith, love, and holiness. All right? Let's not, you know, that's a very tempting one to go, man, you know what that really means and come up with a thing? I don't know if we're going to find that out this side of heaven. I'm not sure. A couple of pointers as we leave here. Number one, the, there's, we've got to really avoid being a people who try not to be like others, of going, you want to know what? I know groups that teach modesty, and, and it just is so dry and so like, oh, whatever it is, okay? Our goal isn't to find other groups that teach modesty and go, okay, we're going to not be like them. Our goal is to look into the, the Word of God and go, how can we honor God? with what he's teaching. It's not to not be like others. It's not, to, it's not to go, oh man, but there's other places that teach this like spiritual toxic masculinity. I don't want to be that. Well, okay, bad starting point. Why don't we honor God's view of masculinity and femininity? Why don't we go for that in a positive way rather than trying not to be someone else? A couple thought questions. Am I truly aligned? I hope we go back and pray. Am I truly aligned wholeheartedly with God in the ways of his kingdom? This may be difficult, but there's a lot of difficult passages that he's saying, my people, I need you to be aligned with me on this. Paying attention to like, what were my emotions? Like what was going through my head as I was reading this passage? And why is that? Because those are the kind of things we're going to have to talk with each other about. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.